Well, good morning. I want to welcome uh, those of you who are joining us offline. I know the campuses have been on for a few minutes. We got to sing together this morning for the first time. One church, many campuses, we're all singing the same song, and that was fun. That was awesome. Uh, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, um, just online, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you've uh, chosen to prioritize uh, worship on this first weekend of 2016. Did you get um, a bulletin as you came in? Did you get an outline sheet? Pull your outline sheet out. And um, it looks like this. Uh, it says imagine on the top and then there's nothing on it. It's because I got nothing today. I'm done. I just, it's like they said I was preaching the first week after Christmas and uh, everybody else went on vacation. I thought I will too. <laughs> Actually, um, I do have a little something, but it's not on here. And so what you'll have to do is follow along. I'll tell you when to write stuff. You write whatever you want to. I'll tell you, I'll go, hey, you really should write this down. This should be on there. Okay, does that sound fair enough? So let me ask you a question. If you could pick one word that defined our society right now, what would it be? One word. This is audience participation. Materialistic. Materialistic. What else? Scary. What else? Yeah. Okay, let me tell you the right one. Those are all good. Those are all good. <laughs> I think, uh, would you agree with me that the word pressure defines a lot of our society? Eight-letter word. Uh, you know, a lot of you know that we have a whole bunch of grandkids, and uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole crew of them that are like five or six years old right now, and we have unleashed them on the school system. And... <laughs> Up until this time, they were kind of the star of the show, you know. And now they go to school, and now there's pressure. You've got to sit still. You've got to perform. You've got to get good grades, pressure. And then we put them in athletics, and, you know, your kid is going to be the one that is the number one draft choice, whatever it is. That's why you spend all the money on the leagues and all of that. So they have to, you know, they have to perform at athletics, and, and then uh, they get through high school. I know I had a high school kid the other day in the foyer said, could you pray with me about college? I got to get in to the right school. And so there's pressure to get into college and school. There's pressure then obviously to get good grades there. There's pressure to get a job. Uh, when you get out, there's pressure to do well, to perform, uh, to move up the ladder. And there's pressure relationally. We all have that. You want to get married. You know, you want to find, you know, your soulmate. And if you, if you, miss it. There's only one in the whole world that fits that. And if somebody else marries him or her, it screws up the whole system. And uh, it, that's not true. I mean, it's whatever. We'll talk about that later this year. Um, but there's pressure. And then pressure to have kids and to, uh, to, to grow, you know, a godly family and, and a good marriage. And uh, then you got world pressures, the craziness that's out there, terrorism and War, the economy, who knows? And then you got the serious stuff, the pressure of the NFL. <laughs> will the Broncos win today? And will they eventually defeat the evil empire of Bill Belichick and win the Super Bowl? And there's serious, serious stuff, okay? Say one thing with me, one thing. That's the... Let me repeat myself. I'm going to say, you say one thing, and then what you do is you say one thing, okay? In the campuses, too. One thing. One thing. 
Say it again. One thing. There is one thing, one thing that will determine the course of your life because of the pressure that you're going to face this year. Because you will face pressure. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how much you do whatever it is you do right. You're going you're gonna to face pressure this year. And there's one thing that will determine the course of your life more than anything else, I think, on whether 2016 will be boom or bust. And that one thing is another uh, eight-letter word called priority. Priority. And this is why I think it's so important. Because if your priorities are not clearly defined, you will be swept away by the pressures of life. You'll make decisions based on pressure. You'll be guided by pressure. And the only antidote to that is priorities. If your priorities are right, and if you follow your priorities, then you can respond to pressures by making good choices, and that's what a good year is. In fact, I believe, I, I know this is going to sound like hype, and I don't even care, because I believe it. Did you know I'm a hope peddler for a living? That's what I do. I believe that Christians ought to be the most positive people on the planet. Have you read the book? Okay. The Bible's what I'm talking about. There's... <laughs> I believe, I believe 2016 is going to be the best year I've ever had in my life. I believe that. I believe 2016 is going to be the best year this church has ever had. I believe 2016 can be the best year that you, that, that you have, okay? It's going to be the result of choices. That's what determines your life, is the choices that we make. And if your priorities are right and you're not dictated by pressure, then you can make the choices that will, that, will, um, that will guide you through challenge, even the most challenging of times. We're in a new series called Imagine, and um, imagine 2016 just being your best year. We end up every service every week uh, with a benediction that says God is able to do abundantly more than all that you could ask or what? Imagine. Imagine. And so we want to help you to dream and imagine uh, a little bit about a year marked by good choices, not dictated by pressures you face, but by the priorities that you embrace. I wrote that and it rhymes and I thought it was cool. I'm going to make a rap out of it. What we're going to do over the next few weeks, I think it's the most important series that we'll do this year. I think this sermon today is the most important sermon I'll preach all year. I put a lot of energy into this. I believe that it is. And, 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 and here's, here's, here's why. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to review our priorities as individuals and as a church. And uh, every week we're going to take one of our priorities and we're going to expand on them. Write this down. This is priorities as a church. Our priorities, Seacoast 2016, is this. Find God, number one. Find God. Grow your faith, number two. Discover your purpose, number three. And make a difference, number four. Find God, grow your faith, discover your purpose, make a difference. Say that together with me so that we'll kind of get it. Find God, grow your faith, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And each week we're going to cover uh, one of those. And this week we're going to look at the first priority, which is to find God. Here's how we're going to study it. We're going to study this priority in the life of an Old Testament king named David 
who knew what it meant to live under pressure. But he lived his life according to priorities. He had a lot of pressures. He had the pressure of being a leader. If you're a leader, you know that leadership comes with its own kind of pressure. Have you ever heard the phrase, the higher you climb, the better the view? Anybody ever heard that one? That's true, but here's what the view comes with. The higher you climb, the more the wind blows. You ever been on top of a mountain and see how much the wind blows? It blows a lot more than it does down here. Or how about this? The higher you climb, the more your backside is exposed. However, you're glad I said that. Because what happens, it's true, on a leadership ladder, everybody starts at the same level, and we're all friends. It's awesome. We're high-fiving. And somebody starts going up the ladder, and, and you start seeing their flaws. And then we all know the one, the higher you go, the harder you what fall. David's a leader. He's, he understands leadership pressure. He also knows the pressure of family. He didn't do family well. He just didn't. In fact, the period of time we're going to study David today is probably the worst period of time, one of the worst periods of time in his life. Because of his own adultery, partially, one of his sons, Absalom, has rebelled against him and has taken the kingdom away. His own son, his own, think about that, his own son has taken the kingdom away from him, wants to kill him, has led a rebellion. David and his loyal friends have to leave. He finds himself in a barren wilderness. He's fleeing for his life. He feels like a failure. He's disgraced himself, disgraced his nation. He's rejected, and he's facing an uncertain future. It's called pressure. It's called pressure. And in those circumstances, he writes Psalm 63. Now, let me tell you about Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is the second most beloved psalm in the psalms. First is what? 23. 63, that David wrote in the midst of the circumstances I just told you about, became a, a, a hymn. It was a song that he wrote that was ultimately sung by the New Testament church as the first song of their worship service for, for centuries, for years. Psalm 63. Psalm 63 shows David's priorities under pressure. And that's why we're gonna that's why we're gonna study it. Now, we probably wouldn't be writing songs, much less singing them, if we were in his shoes. You know, he's he's been betrayed, all this kind of thing. Well, maybe we'd sing a little Alice Cooper, Vengeance is mine. <laughs> or maybe Carrie Underwood before he cheats. Don't you like that one? Have you seen the video? So cool. Everybody just wants to do that. But we wouldn't be singing praise music to Jesus. I can guarantee you that. And yet Psalm 63 shows that David's priority under pressure was to find God, was to seek the Lord. And if you're going to have your best year yet, if this church is going to have our best year yet, our number one priority has to be seeking the Lord and finding him. If you don't learn anything else this year, if you do that, see, what David knew is that if he sought first the kingdom of God, Jesus amplified this in the New Testament, Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else, everything else will be added unto you. 
There's two things there. There's a blessing of adding everything, but there's a priority of the one thing. You put anything else in the one thing, and it's not going to work. And David knew that, and he sought the Lord. If you're going to thrive under pressure, you got to get your priorities right. So I want to talk to you about finding God today. Number one priority, I want to give you three things. That's a surprise, I'll bet. Three things that I saw in Psalm 63 about finding God. Here's the first one. Finding God begins with an intimate relationship with God. It begins with an intimate relationship. Psalm 63 in verse 1 says, You, God, are my God. Five words that define David's relationship with God. It's intimate. He says, You, God, you, God, you're my, you're my God. How do you know there's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody? Are you aware of that? Yeah, there's a, there's a guy that's on my bucket list to meet this year. I want to meet him this year. He's been on my bucket list for a while. I'll tell you if I meet him. His name's Richie Fure. Richie, if you're watching, I'd like to meet you. Okay? A lot of you don't know, know who he is. He was a big rock star when I was growing up. Um, it was a long time ago, back about when Noah landed the ark. Was, maybe I was growing up, and there was a super group of the day called Buffalo Springfield. And in that group, there was guys like Neil Young, David Crosby. They went on to form Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Jim Messina, Loggins and Messina. There's just a lot of guys. Richie Fure was one of the guys. And uh, that band was um, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. And then when that band fell apart in the early 70s, uh, Richie Fure, who was a Denver area guy, formed Poco. Last night I was going home from church, and the radio station I was listening to was playing a, a Poco song. And it was being sung by the guy that is the, the guy with the long hair, the bass player for the Eagles now. What's his name? I can't remember. Whatever. Anyway, he was in Poco at the time. Who cares, right? I do. I care. So this is important. <laughs> and then when Poco kind of dissolved, he formed the Richie Fure band. And what's interesting to me about Richie Fury and why I want to meet him is that uh, not just that he was a rock star in the day that I knew all of his songs and all this, but he, uh, he met Jesus in the 70s and he led a whole bunch of people to Jesus and now he's a pastor. Imagine that. He still tours uh, with revivals of Buffalo Springfield, Poco and all of that. But he influenced a lot of people for the Lord. And because of Wikipedia, I know a lot about Richie Fury. <laughs> but I don't know him. In order to know him, I would need what? An introduction. So if any of you know Richie Fure, hook a brother up. This stuff works. I now have internet. A lot of you don't know what that means, but it's a great story. I'd need an introduction. And then there would need to be a connection. We would connect. And then we'd need to spend some time together. It's on my bucket list. It's going to happen. Some of us have finding God on our bucket list. This is so cool. I just read this a couple days ago. I like New Year's resolutions. I happen to believe in all that stuff. I set goals. I do all that kind of thing. And um, I was reading a, a survey that, and I also read Wikipedia, and I was the kid that read encyclopedias when I was a 
you don't even know what they are. There's a whole group of books that you would have. And I would read them, but whatever. Um, so where were we at? So I love statistics. And so, and so a couple of days ago, I saw that on New Year's resolutions, 58% of us have resolutions to do with health. Okay? I thought it would be higher than that. But, you know, we want to get thinner or, you know, what, you know but about the whole thing about getting thinner. What if, what, if, what if when you stood before the Lord someday, he said, well done, good and faithful servant, but I wanted you to weigh 15 more pounds. What a bummer that would be. Okay? <laughs> but so anyway, there's, so there's all these health things, 58%. But 52% of the people they surveyed, they weren't Christ, just Christians, everybody said they wanted to find God. They wanted to improve their spiritual life, their relationship with God. And there are, there are many of us in here that it's on our bucket list <clears throat> to find God. But it's going to be the same as me meeting Richie. If you want to know him, there's got to be a point in time where you get an introduction. What does that look like? Jesus explains it in John 17. He's talking to his, his posse, his guys, and he's praying for them, actually. He says this. Now, this is eternal life. He's praying to the Father. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He said, that's, this is eternal life. We want to give them eternal life, and this is how it comes. That they know you. Intimate, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Your introduction to God comes when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ and his death on your behalf. We make it real complicated. You got to say these words exactly like this. It's just, it's just coming to, it's just like going, and here's how it happens. Sometimes it happens at the end of a service. Every week it happens at the end of a service here because we give you an opportunity to do it. So it might happen in your car, could happen at work, could happen by your bed. Oftentimes it happens when, when for some reason, usually it's pressure, you come to a point of going, I can't carry this on my own. I don't know what to do. And so you cry out to God, and you might use the right words, you might not, but you recognize that you're a sinner and that you're saved by his grace. You might not even understand any of that theology, but you come into relationship. You come into an intimate relationship with him, and that's, that's the first thing that happens. He gives you eternal life as he is his free gift. So here's the question. David knew God personally do you? Okay, simple stuff. David, my God, God, my God, you are my God. He knew God personally. Do you? Do you? Not just know about him, but really, really know him. You've hit the right place today. We've had hundreds of people already that have said, you know what? I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm in there. I'm going to go ahead today and make it my day because this is the right time. Listen, there's no time like the present. Four words that could change your life. Write this down. If not now, comma, when? Question mark. If not now, comma, when? Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Anybody have any projects in the garage at home that testify to that right there? Okay. Here's what the Bible says about salvation. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says, For God says, indeed the right time is when? It's now. Today 
is the day of salvation. And so during response time, I'm going to explain to you how you can take that step and come into intimate relationship with God. First step in finding God. Here's the second step in finding God, according to David. Finding God involves earnestly seeking him. Earnestly seeking him. David says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. Well, if he's already got God, God is already involved in his life, why does he earnestly seek him? Because he wants more of God. Can you get more of God? You betcha. You betcha. That's what he wants. The word picture, understand the Bible wasn't written in English. Everybody kind of pretty well know that. Not even King James. Okay, it wasn't written in English. It was written in, in uh, Roman and Greek, uh, or Hebrew and Greek. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word picture that helps us to understand what that seeking, seeking earnestly means that Hebrew word picture for that, it was used of wild donkeys looking eagerly for food. Okay, I want you to think about this. Picture, wild donkeys, pursuing God. Wild donkeys looking eagerly for food. I know what that means. I have 14 grandkids. <laughs> and when we're all together and you say a prayer before the meal, you do it with your eyes open and you do it quickly because they are wild donkeys. <laughs> In search of food. That's what it earnestly means to seek God. David says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. To seek after God means to go after God with intense desire. It's said that a young man came to Socrates, the philosopher, and he asked Socrates, could I be your disciple? Socrates ignored him and walked out into a body of water. The young man followed him into the body of water. And he repeated his question, Socrates, I want to be your disciple. Socrates grabbed him by the shoulder and held him underwater until he could handle it no more. Finally let the guy up, and he comes up gasping for air. And Socrates allegedly replied, when you desire the truth as much as you seek air, then you can be my disciple. That's desiring God. So here's the question. I have a question for each one of these. How much do you desire to know God? Most of us in here, we've already, we can check that first one. I, I have an intimate relationship. I'm in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But how much do you desire to know God? Do you desire to go deeper this year? Deepen this priority so that when pressure comes, You'll make the right decisions. How do you go deeper? There's a lot of ways. How do you go deeper at Seacoast? I'm just going to give you a list. And it's, I'm going to give you a linear flow to a nonlinear question. If you don't understand that, Google it. You know, it's, it's there. But anyway, here's some ideas. Get baptized. Get baptized. Uh, the first thing Jesus says, first act of obedience, Jesus says, repent and be baptized. So, if you haven't been baptized yet, we're going to have baptism services at all of our campuses in January. Get, get baptized. Just because blessing follows obedience. You'll go deeper in the Lord. Um, here's the second one. Make a commitment to worship. Make a commitment to the weekend worship services. But I know we're busy, 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 busy. And I'm not doing this as a self-serving thing at all. I'm busy too. 
But I want to challenge you to do what I'm doing. I'm making a commitment to worship. Um, I have a friend who's in this service right now who's our U.S. Senator. And we've been friends for a number of years. I remember when he was elected to the first national office in Washington, D.C., he came to me and he said, I want you to hold me accountable. He said, I'm going to be in church, I believe it was 48 weeks out of the year. And I said, I'll help you find a good church in Washington. We'll make that. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to be in Seacoast 48 weeks out of the year. I said, dude, you go to church more than I do. I mean, that's like a lot. <laughs> and then I asked him, I, I did this. I asked him, I said, I said, why is it so important to you? And here's the kind of answer he gave me. He said, I don't want Washington to squeeze me into their mold. Yeah. Hang on. That's not a Republican thing. That's not a Democrat thing. That's a world thing. You are going to be squeezed into somebody's mold. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Make a commitment to the weekends. Join a small group. We grow best in community. Find a place to serve. When you pour yourself out in service to others, God will fill you up with even more good things. Here's another one as, as it relates to service or, or worship. Set aside First Wednesday for worship. If you haven't been to a First Wednesday service, I want to challenge you. Come to three of them and then make a decision about whether you, it needs to be a part of what you're doing. And that's between you and God. But we set aside First Wednesday as just a time of cleansing worship. It's just worship. Just a little bit of teaching and a lot of worship. And... Um, I want to challenge you to make that a priority to go deeper with God. Um, if you're close to a campus, you can go this week if they have a uh, um, first Wednesday service this Wednesday. But uh, if there isn't one, we do it online, live.seacoast.org, and you can experience the worship there. Another thing is you may want to do is join us in 21 days of prayer and fasting. We, we start every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. This year it's going to start... Thursday of this week, the day after, first, we want to worship together first, and then we're going to start our fast. Now, uh, 21 days, what, it, what is fasting? I don't have time, Google it. There's all kind of good things on it. It's kind of like a diet, only a diet changes the way you look, a fast changes the way you see, okay? And it impacts your life. Now, what we're going to do with it is we're going to include morning prayer with the fast, and so here at the Long Point campus, uh, every uh, Monday through Friday, we're going to have an hour of morning prayer between 6 and 7 o'clock. And we come together for corporate prayer. We're going to have worship. Somebody will give a little teaching. It's going to be great. So I w I'd love to have hundreds of us come. I really would. I'd love to have hundreds of us that would come. But if you can't make it, you can't get your lazy self out of bed, we're going to live stream it. Okay, so you can lay there on bed and watch live.seacoast.org. I know there are a lot of reasons people can't come. I, I, we're having fun. Smile. Okay. Um, and then on Saturdays from 9 to 10, we're going to prayer walk this place and pray. It's going to be fun. We'd love to get as many people on Saturday as we could for uh, three weeks, 21 days. Um, start a Bible reading program. Go on Version, get one. Um, if this is helpful, uh, Monday through Thursday at 9 o'clock on my Facebook page, Pastor Greg Surratt, 
I do a morning encouragement for 10 minutes that might help you to, to grow in your walk. And you can just come do that and just join us for that. But to seek after God means that there's always more. Why? This is why I said you get more of God. Because God is an infinite person. There's always something new. You're finite. He's infinite. There's something, the Bible says his, news, his mercies are new every morning. And so David um, had walked with God for years, but he thirsted for more. Finding God begins with an intimate relationship. It involves earnestly seeking. Let me give you one more. Finding God results in a satisfying life. David is under intense pressure. He's lost the kingdom. He's lost his wives. He's lost his money, his palace, his leadership, everything under intense pressure. But he's got his priorities right, which is, let's read it again. What's his priorities? You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. Then look what he says, or what he does. He says, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Watch this. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Can you say that last phrase with me? Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. But I'm a Baptist, I don't do that. No, this isn't about Baptist stuff. It's not about Catholic stuff. This is a, can I talk to all the men here? Men, just ladies tune out just for a minute. Men. David, who wrote this? Bad dude. Bad dude. They sang about him. The women sang about him. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. David is, if he was, if, if he was here in America, he would be in the, in the Medal, of, Medal of Honor thing out in the harbor. David, MMA fighter, he tapped out the, the, the nastiest MMA fighter in the history of the world. His name was Goliath. Literally handed him his head. This is a bad Dude, this is not some skinny jeans worship leader saying, you should put your hands in the air and worship Jesus. This is a warrior king. No wonder the women loved him. He is a warrior in touch with his feelings and in touch with his God. Guys, you may think she's impressed by your big bad self, but the truth is you're scaring her. She wants her warrior submitted to a higher power. Women, can you say amen? Well, that was weak. Did I say something wrong? Women, could you say amen? I like that. So guys, listen to me. Listen to me, I'm, I'm challenging you that this is going to be a year of worship. You're going to seek God first. He'll add everything to you. I'm challenging you. The next time you think you're too big, bad, and cool to slip up a hand in worship as a sign of surrender to the God of the universe, I want you to think about David. I'm going to give you a word picture of David. 
Think Rocky meets Rambo meets Terminator meets Darth Vader. <laughs> He's in the middle of pressure. Warrior king, baddest man on the planet. I love you, Lord. I lift my hands to you. I surrender my will to you. One day in your presence is as a lifetime with anything else. Why does he worship? What's that about? Look at the next verse. He says, it's because you satisfy me. More than the richest feast. Let me tell you, that's a man after God's own heart. If he likes God more than a good steak. He says, you satisfy me. How did he get there? Because he'd been in his presence. It was a priority to him. He says, I will praise you with songs of joy. David has lost his wife, his family, his possessions, his career, everything. Notice he doesn't ask for any of those things back in order to fill the vacuum that he feels. He wasn't praying, God, give me my wives, give me my palace, give me my kingdom, give me my authority. He wanted all of that. And ultimately, he got it back. But he knew this priority principle that if you seek God first, that he adds all of the things that you need. But if you seek other things to fill that vacuum, it never works and you're never satisfied. He prays, I will seek you. My soul thirsts after you. My flesh yearns for you. Your love is better than life. You satisfy me. It's easy for all of us to fill our lives with things other than God. Good things. They're just not worthy of worship. We put people in the center. Or we put possessions, we put career, we put success, oftentimes because there's an emptiness in there. Those are good things. I pray for you to be successful. But you know, here's something that bothers me. Though. I'm gonna, I didn't tell any of the other services this. I've prayed for people to be successful in, their church, in this church, and God has blessed them, and their success became the priority, rather than God, I think I did them a disservice. Don't ever go there. Don't ever go there. Jesus said, what is it, what is it if a man gains his, the entire world but loses what makes him real, his soul? The question is this. Have you ever gotten to a place in your relationship with God where you can say, God is enough? Where you can say, like David said, you satisfy me. Unfortunately, usually that happens during a time of pressure. It kind of sharpens everything. Somebody said, you never know that God is all you need until he's all you have. But it served David well. And if that's where you are today, you're in the right place. You've come to the right place. Because I want to help you. I want, I want to help you to have the best year that you've ever had. The truth is, none of us can avoid the pressure that life serves. We're all going to experience pressure this year, but we can build life-giving priorities into our lives and trust them to guide us in choosing wisely. As I prepared this message, I thought, what if we all chose to prioritize our lives? 
What if everybody that attends Seacoast, even just Christmas and Easter, that's a small city. That's 25, 30,000 people. What if, we, what if we all said, I'm going to prioritize finding God. That's going to be number one. Do you think that would make a difference in your life? Think it'd make a difference in this church? Think it'd make a difference in this community? You think it'd make a difference in our state, in our world? I do. I'm just crazy enough to think that. I want to pray for you. Let's, let's uh, bow for closing prayer. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for how we can learn from the characters, the warriors, the men and women who followed you in hard times and in good times. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the next few minutes as we bring our lives alongside of the ruler of truth that is your word. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.